1943, the middle of the Second World War. Americans young and old are proudly doing their civic duty, rationing butter, growing victory gardens, and buying war bonds. But in the midst of the war effort, there's one, some might say equally pressing, issue facing the American people. How do we watch baseball when all the men are gone? Jimmy Eisen slides home with a run and a nicely bruised leg. Better a bruise than long pants, eh, gals? Luckily, America's women were ready to lace up their cleats and get down with the All-American Girls Baseball League, a.k.a. a league of their own. <laughs> Are you crying? There's no crying in baseball! Why don't you leave her alone? If you've seen the famous 1992 movie, the one with legends like Tommy Hanks, Madonna, and Rosie, you probably think you know the story of women in baseball. But in fact, the real story of why baseball has remained a game for men for more than a century actually has very little to do with Rosie and Tom Hanks. That reason can be traced back to the kids' game, to Little League Baseball. Did you know it was going to be such a big deal when you started to try out? I didn't think all this would happen. From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. Every episode, we take a moment from that very same week in history and tell you the story of how it shaped our world. I'm Ramoy Phillip, pinch-hitting this week for Simone Palanen. On November 7, 1973, 49 years ago this week, the New Jersey Division of Civil Rights issued its decision between Little League Baseball and a teenage girl named Maria Pepe. The years-long battle became a landmark gender discrimination case. It filled courtrooms, divided parents, and solidified one of America's most treasured traditions, grown-ass adults enforcing the gender binary in children's baseball. Settle in with your peanuts and Cracker Jacks, because after the break, for it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Before we get into it, a disclaimer this is an episode about gender. To tell this story, we'll be describing gender in the terms used at the time essentially, the boy girl binary. Okay, so the transformation of baseball from alleyway game to certified boys club begins in the 19th century, at a time when men were getting off the farms and into the factories. There was a concern that all of the loss of the physical labor that people were no longer doing at the same rate out in the farms, that they would become weak and dandies. That's Laura Papano. She co-authored Playing with the Boys a book unpacking gender segregation in sports. She says that back in the Industrial Revolution, some organized sports helped keep men tough and socialized them during what was a time of massive change. 
when you're uncertain about what the future is, sports with rules and organizations and structures and teams were a way of people kind of coming together to build community. Laura says by the early 20th century, baseball becomes synonymous with that tried-and-true myth of American masculinity. And a big part of that had to do with the creation of Little League. In 1938, Carl Stoltz, who was an oil company kind of clerk in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, right? Which is, you know, home of Little League. Stotts got the idea for Little League during a game of catch with his nephews. He miniaturized the Major League Diamond, laying out newspapers to measure the distance between bases. He even hand-carved the first Little League home plate himself. And it grew phenomenally. By 1951, there were 776 programs. A year later, and there were 1,500 programs. It absolutely just exploded. Pretty soon, for boys ages 9 through 12, playing Little League was a rite of passage. Baseball is the only sport that has a charter passed by Congress. You see, in 1964, Little League Baseball was honored with a charter from the U.S. government. It was an official acknowledgement of exactly what Little League Baseball was supposedly contributing to the nation. It's in the charter. And if you look at some of the early language around the creation of Little League, it was for boys to help them develop their manhood. Manhood. Little League is not about getting fresh air or exercise or even getting stronger or faster. The charter says it straight up. It's about turning boys into men. Fast forward to 1972. It's April in Hoboken, New Jersey, which means the opening of Little League season. Parents sidestep their way into tiny aluminum bleachers. They clutch coffee cups and raincoats just in case. The home team, the Young Democrats, take the field in their gray flannel uniforms, looking all sorts of pre-adolescent and awkward. The starting pitcher warms up, punching the mitt. The catcher crouches down, waiting for the first pitch. A hush falls over the diamond. The pitcher was a girl. Her name was Maria Pepe. Maria was the only girl on the Young Democrats. And not only that, she was the only girl who had ever been on the team. She played baseball with the neighborhood boys and went with them to tryouts. Maria easily made the team. I was not afraid of getting hit with the ball. I was good, my friends would tell you. That's from an interview Maria did with HBO in 2019. A note here that Maria Pepe spoke with us, but declined to be interviewed. The boys on Maria's team treated her just like any other player. They called her Pepe. She called them nicknames like Juicy and Rabbit. And the thing was, Maria could really play. She was a pitcher first, but also a great fielder. And she could put the bat to ball. In her first two games, she managed to hit over 300. If you don't play baseball, that's pretty damn good. She was the starting pitcher for the first game. Now, her teammates and the coach and everyone was very supportive of her. But opposing teams did not like it. Those little narcs took things straight to the top. They complained to the National Little League office that the Young Democrats were breaking the rules of Little League. Only boys could play baseball. So the bigwigs at corporate talk bureaucracy like men in power do. Finally, Little League sent a letter to the team. They wanted to halt her from playing. She only ended up playing, I believe, three games. 
Little League even told Maria's coach that if he didn't take her off the team, they'd kick all of Hoboken's teams out of the organization. That meant no one, boy or girl, would be allowed to play. Maria's coach felt like he had no choice. Reluctantly, one spring evening, he went over to Maria's house. He knocked on the door. When the door opened, he delivered his message. He'd need Maria's uniform back. Almost 50 years after the fact, it was still hard for Maria to talk about. He said, we'll have to give your uniform to another kid because I'll have to get another kid to replace you. Her coach tried to soften the blow. You could keep your cap, and I want you to know you can come up and keep score. I did that for one game, and that was it. I couldn't do it again. You know, I had somebody else running around. He had my uniform. I just couldn't watch it. The whole ordeal made it into the local press where it caught the eye of a local professor named Judith Weiss. There's a classic picture of her holding a bat, you know, getting ready to swing. That was the picture in the paper. Judith is a professor emeritus of biology at Rutgers University. And back in the mid-70s, she started a local chapter of NOW. N-O-W is the National Organization for Women. There was a lot of headway being made at the time, with the Equal Rights Amendment getting momentum and Title IX being drafted and passed. And so that article with Maria Pepe, it gave Judith an idea. I was probably at home, and I was reading it, and the wheels were turning, and I'm thinking, we can do something about this. I was somewhat by now acquainted with the New Jersey civil rights law, which included sex among one of the discrimination categories. Reading this, Judith knew exactly what to do. Now, the Little League did not play on land that they owned. They played in public parkland. So that was the connection, realizing that parks were a public accommodation. For many, it would have been an inconsequential detail. But Judith, with all of that now experience under her belt, she saw something in the stories others didn't. Parks are known as a public accommodation, a facility open for public use. And under New Jersey state law, they may not discriminate on the basis of sex. I'm a faculty member at Rutgers in Newark, and about a few blocks away was a state office building where the Division of Civil Rights had an office. The New Jersey Division of Civil Rights is a state agency that's responsible for upholding New Jersey's laws on civil rights. I went in and talked with them and saying we were thinking that this was violating the public accommodation section, and they agreed with me. Which meant that the state would conduct its own investigation and hold a hearing on the matter. On August 10, 1973, the witnesses were assembled, the testimony was prepared, and an official was set to hear the case. But the big Little League showdown, featuring screaming parents and one huge metaphorical curveball, was still to come. The last swing for sexism, after the break. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. 
Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back, sluggers. Before the break in 1970s New Jersey, Maria Pepe was a gutsy teenager throwing fastballs for the Hoboken Young Democrats. That is, until Little League Brass gave her the boot. The National Organization for Women stepped up to the plate for Maria. They filed a complaint to the New Jersey Division of Civil Rights, starting a turbulent two-year struggle. The initial hearing took place in August of 1973 in a windowless room. It was high summer, and the air conditioning was out. Judith Weiss, Rutgers University professor, again. There are witnesses on both sides and so forth, so it looks like a trial. The hearing officer was a woman named Sylvia Pressler who, by the way, chain-smoked cigarettes through the whole six-day affair. <coughs> Soon, Sylvia kicked things off, and experts for both sides took the stand. Both sides focused especially on the alleged biological differences between boys and girls, and whether or not those differences made baseball unsafe for girls. My memories are mostly of the absurd things that the Little League people said. Little League's expert witness was Creighton Hill. He was the executive director of the organization, but also had an extensive background in physiology. Hale testified that girls' reaction times were slower than boys, and that girls' bones were weaker. Well, this was not science. If it was science, it was very bad science. Needless to say, the bone thing is, um, checking out. Yep, it's horseshit. Laura Papano. We're talking about you know, right around puberty. And there is research suggesting that up until puberty, that there are really not big physical differences. Little League's witnesses were especially concerned about girls' Barbie doll physiques. Quote, the possibility of cosmetic injury is much more, quote, socially damaging for a girl than it is for a boy. You know, what assumptions go along with a statement like that? He even went on to suggest that being struck by a baseball could cause girls to, get ready for it, develop breast cancer. In response, Now's witnesses fired back. They had an orthopedic surgeon who said, you know, the disparity in bone strength between boys and girls at that age is negligible. And he said, if anything, girls' bones were more resistant to fracture than boys' bones. On November 7th, 1973, Just over two months after both sides made their case, Sylvia Pressler, the hearing officer, announced her decision. And I love that she said, Little League 
is as American as hot dogs and apple pie. And she said that girls should have every right to participate on an equal footing with boys. Now the New Jersey Civil Rights Office has signed a ruling prohibiting sex discrimination by the Little League in New Jersey. The ruling stems from a complaint by the National Organization of Women in behalf of Maria Pepe of Hoboken. That's when things really started heating up across New Jersey. Little League parents were pissed. Those angry parents did what they do best, make an absolute scene. 800 Little League boys and their coaches, mothers and fathers, jammed into the State House in Trenton. And they had a petition with 50,000 signatures asking for the postponement of Sylvia Pressler's order. In the spring of 1974, with the new Little League season approaching, angry demonstrators overran the state capitol building in Trenton. Their message was clear. Little League was for boys. And it needed to stay that way. I don't want my 10-year-old girl sliding into second base and having your 12-year-old boy tagging her on the breast. If a person is playing shortstop and the ball takes a bad hop, hits that person in the nose, break the nose, knock the teeth out, who would you rather have it happen to, your daughter or your son? It's disheartening to say, but all that parental uproar went next level. All over New Jersey, adults debate while the children listen and wonder if there's going to be any Little League at all this summer. While this was going on, instead of just letting girls play Little League, most of the 2,000 teens in New Jersey stopped playing altogether. The grown-ups wanted girls out. Meanwhile, the actual kids playing baseball? I think everybody should play as long as they're in the age. Yeah, like, if, if they can be, if they're good enough, you know, I don't mind anybody playing with me. I don't care as long as they can play good. Some girls can play just as good as boys and better. Finally, in late February of 1974, after an appeal by Little League, New Jersey came to a resolution upholding the original ruling in Maria Pepe's case. And at long last, girls across New Jersey could play Little League. As a result, a few months later, the National Little League organization announced it would allow girls on all of its teams. Little League Baseball said today that it will, quote, defer to the changing social climate and permit girls to play on boys' teams. For girls who wanted to play baseball, this was a huge deal. But tragically, for Maria, it was too late. By the time the case finally ended, she was 13 years old. Too old for Little League. And that very same year, Little League created their softball league. It doesn't seem like much of a stretch to see this as an effort to keep baseball, the American pastime, only for boys. We spoke with a rep from Little League who agreed this was probably the case. And even though Little League baseball is now open to kids of all genders, it's still overwhelmingly boys who play baseball. And Maria Pepe, even though she never got to join a Little League team again, her contributions to baseball have been widely recognized. Her young Democrats hat, the one her coach let her keep, now sits in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. It was kind of emotional, and I was kind of, I was really nervous. This is Sunny Bryant. She's a nine-year-old trans girl from Houston. She loves sports. But a 2021 Texas law, HB 25, 
means she isn't allowed to play on the girls' teams. I like baseball, tennis, gymnastics, and soccer. What is in my heart is I think I should be able to play sports because I am a girl too. 49 years after Maria Pepe's case seemingly set the stage for less gender segregation, we're sort of still here. Only this time, it's the Texas government using pseudoscience and bigotry to reinforce these bullshit binaries, discriminating, especially now, against trans and gender nonconforming kids like Sonny Bryant. Bryant and her mother, Becca, have testified in front of legislators in Austin multiple times. They say they want to share their story because they feel like people will better understand their position if they get to know them. I think kids just want the chance to join their teammates, their friends, in the chance to play sports, to celebrate the greatest of victories and hold each other up in the most heartbreaking losses. It begs the question, why wouldn't we want all of this for all of our kids. Not Past It is a Spotify original produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. This episode was hosted by me, Ramoy Phillip, and produced by Laura Newcomb. Next week, we're heading west to explore the founding of Oklahoma and the stories that statehood erased. I was like, wait a minute, this isn't what I was taught. This is not in the movies. John Wayne didn't talk about this when he's talking about Indian tribes. My tribe enslaved people. The rest of our team is producer Olivia Briley and associate producer Nick Del Rose. The supervising producer is Eric Morrison. Editing by Kelly Prime. Our executive editor is Andrea B. Scott. Fact-checking by Ian Michael. Sound design and mixing by Sam Baer. Original music by Sax Kickzav, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Tokoliana by Coco Co, with music supervision by Liz Fulton, technical direction by Zach Schmidt, show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stewart Pontier. The executive producer from Gimlet is Matt Schiltz. If you want to help support trans kids in Texas, head over to txtranskids.org for more resources. And if you're interested in supporting girls in baseball, check out baseballforall.com. Special thanks to Nina Johnson-Pitt and Little League, Maria Pepe, Dr. Gary Allen Fine, Justine Siegel, Dr. Art Hometh, Next Gen Men, and to Lydia Polgreen, Abby Ruzica, Dan Bayar, Jen Hahn, Emily Wiedemann, Liz Stiles, Ariel Joseph, and Joshua Bianchi. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free exclusively on Spotify. Click the bell next to the follow button to get notification for new episodes. And while you're there, hey, why don't you just rate us five stars? I'm not on the Twitter, but Simone is. You can follow her on Twitter, at Simone Planin. Thanks for hanging. See you next week. How does Simone do this every week?